This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Well, I love Wednesday nights. This is the best night of the week. It's the week that I get to hang out with other believers and just worship Jesus together. It's a night that we get to study God's word together. We get to dive in and look for the the mysteries and hash them out together. We are continuing. This is our penultimate uh, night of the series, Book of Books, which means it's the second to last. Next week, if the Lord favors us, we're going to deal with the apologetics which does not mean an apology. It is a defense that the Bible is trustworthy. Where it came from, that it's true, that it's evident, that's what we're going to defend next week. And it's one that I've been looking forward to for a while. Tonight we're continuing in the how to study the Bible. And so I'm going to talk for hopefully a shorter period of time and get you into your e-groups, and you're going to open up the Bible together, and you're going to study it out, and you're going to look for some of those nuggets of gold, you're going to, like we had the bowl of water, you're going to wring it for all the truth you can get out of it. And so I'm looking forward to it. And if you'll go with me, we will jump into tonight. One of the keys to studying the Bible is that we aren't looking for what a certain passage means to me and means to you. What we're doing is we're studying to know what the author is trying to say, what he intended his audience to understand. Now, the author is writing on purpose with something in mind, and that's what we're trying to learn. If one person is reading it for what they think it means to them, and I'm reading it for what I think it means to me, we're going to have all sorts of conflict and crazy stuff, right? We're going to be making up things. But if we're both searching for what the author meant to say and intended to say, then we're going to find common ground in the Word of God. We can do that through looking at, we can, we can look for truth as we look at what genre we're reading. You're not going to read a psalm the same way that you would read the book of Revelation or the book of Second Chronicles. They're different. So we want to, first of all, understand what is the author? Why did the author write it in this way? Is it poetry? Is it apocalyptic literature? Is it history? Is it parable? We can also consider the culture of the author and the recipient. What's his worldview? Where is he coming from? Why is he writing this? We can look at the history. What's happening in their world right now that they may be responding to or writing about? One of the most fun things you can do is look for keywords in the passage of Scripture that you're reading. What are the words or phrases that are repeated? Because there's emphasis there. Or what are the words in this passage that are critical to understanding that passage? And then you can look at, uh, we pitched out the website last week, blueletterbible.org and you can find out what that original word in the Hebrew or the Greek meant and it just opens up a world of understanding. Also critical is to look at the context of what you're reading because the author meant this passage to be a connecting point between the passages before it and the passages after it. 
And I'm telling you, tonight, whenever you go to your Bible study in e-groups, this is going to be so critical. If you don't look at the context that you're reading it in, you're going to come up with some wacko theology and some wacko understanding about the Bible. So you're going to have to discern the context. What is the author trying to say with this? How does it fit the bigger picture of the whole book? Those are important. And finally, we study the theology of what we're reading. What do we learn about God through these passages? What is God saying to his people? How do we apply it? The Bible is so beautiful. It's so interwoven. It's so complex. There was a major league baseball player in the early 20th century. You may have heard of him. His name was Billy Sunday, if you're a baseball player, or if you're kind of know of really old evangelists. But he turned from major league baseball player into an evangelist. And he was known for his onstage antics. He'd climb up on the podium and point and yell at people. He'd grab a chair and throw it across the room to get people to pay attention. Like this was him. He was like dynamic and loud. And he would draw thousands of people to salvation with his antics and his preaching of God's word. And after he died, they found in the cover of his Bible, he had handwritten this. And it's such a beautiful picture of what the Bible is. And it's a It's relating the Bible. It's kind of like this metaphor of walking through the Bible like you're walking through a home. Listen to this. 29 years ago, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I entered at the front porch of Genesis, walked down the corridor of the Old Testament art galleries where pictures of Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, and Daniel hung on the wall. I passed into the music room of the Psalms, where the spirit sweeps the keyboard of nature until it seems that every reed and pipe in God's great organ responds to the harp of David, the sweet singer of Israel. I entered the chamber of Ecclesiastes, where the voice of the preacher is heard, and into the conservatory of Sharon and the lily of the valley where sweet spices filled and perfumed my life. I entered the business office of Proverbs and on into the observatory, the observatory, the place where you have a telescope, you look out at the stars. I entered into the observatory of the prophets, where I saw telescopes of various sizes pointing to far-off events, concentrating on the bright and morning star, which was to rise above the moonlit hills of Judea for our salvation and redemption. I entered the audience room of the King of Kings, catching a vision written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then into the correspondence room, where you write letters, into the correspondence room with Paul, Peter, James, and John writing their epistles. I stepped into the throne room of Revelation, where tower the glittering peaks, where sits the King of Kings upon his throne of glory with the healing of nations in his hands. And I cried out, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. Billy Sunday. It's that kind of beauty that we hold in our hands. It's this, this incredible gift that God gave us that is covered in the blood of those who preserved it for us, who gave their lives so that we could have God's word. And if that sounds interesting to you, you can go back on the podcast and listen to how we got the Bible. And it is. It is covered in the lives of many, many people that believed in it and gave their lives for it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Do we have our, yes, we have our slides. Crooked slides. 
Every scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from the very mouth of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so tonight we're going to add to our purposes of the Bible. Do you all remember the first two? We've said it every single week. What are, the, what are the two purposes of the Bible? Go. We've only said this every week. For the, say what? That's right. God gives us the Bible to glorify himself and... That's right. To reveal himself to us so that we can have salvation by knowing him. Boom! And so we look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and we see... Is the verse still up there? Put the verse back up. Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The third purpose of the Bible is to equip God's people. If it is God's word, if it is God-breathed, then it is true. Something that isn't objective, something that isn't consistent, something that isn't enduring shouldn't have any authority in our lives. It must be stable. It must be true. We must be able to count our lives against it, to bet the farm on it, to go all chips in. And if it fails, it doesn't deserve to have authority in our lives. But while moral laws and civil governments and philosophies and motivational speeches and sciences have all changed throughout the centuries, The Bible has been both consistent and it has consistently changed people's lives. It hasn't failed. Scripture is so unique because it's top down. Every other bit of literature is man writing to man or man writing to God. But scripture is God writing to us. Think about it this way. And I'm sorry if this sounds a little complex, but this is so beautiful. See if you can hang with me. The first step is revelation. God reveals both himself and he reveals what he wants us to know. Are you following me so far? Step one. The second is inspiration. That is, that through the Holy Spirit, God had the writers, the authors of the Bible, he inspired them to write his revelation correctly. And perfectly. Are you still with me? Revelation. Inspiration. That's at, the, that's at the pen point where God led the authors to write his revelation correctly. And then third is illumination. That is where God helps us. Through the Holy Spirit leads us in understanding God's revelation through the author's inspiration. Are we still on the same page? Illumination. May we pray for illumination every time we crack the covers of our Bible. If it is true, if it is God-breathed, if it is revealed, inspired word of God, then it has five attributes, five qualities. And the fancy way of saying this is this is the doctrine of inspiration, but you don't have to remember that. It has five qualities. The first one is that Scripture is necessary. If God gave it to us, it's because we need it. That without it, we're hopeless. Think about this. 
through creation, God reveals that he exists. But it's through scripture that he reveals our need for redemption and the way to salvation. It is necessary. There is no hope without it. Someone once came to C.S. Lewis. Does anyone know who C.S. Lewis is? I've mentioned him a few times. He was this apologist. He was this theologian. Really clever guy. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia? Nadia? That's my daughter's name. Chronicles of Narnia. Super smart guy. He was giving a speech, and he was talking about scripture and theology. And a Royal Air Force, like British Royal Air Force guy, came up to him afterwards and challenged him. And he said, I don't need your scripture. I don't need your theology. You see... One night, I was out in the desert alone, and I had a real encounter with a real God. I've, I've tasted it. I know God's presence. I've experienced a real God. And so anything past that is just less real. It's just petty and insignificant. I don't need your scriptures. I don't need your theologies and doctrines. And C.S. Lewis, with just incredible wisdom, responds like this. You know, you could make a visit to the Atlantic Ocean. You could put your feet in the water. You could play in the sand. You could experience the Atlantic Ocean. And if you were to turn from the Atlantic Ocean to look to a map, you are turning from something that is real to something that is less real. It's just paper and ink, right? But this paper and ink has two things that are really important. One, it documents the experiences and journeys of thousands of people that have gone before us to make a map of the Atlantic Ocean that have trusted it, that have put their experience into it. And two, you could go to the Atlantic Ocean and go to the beach and look out and have a very real experience, but you couldn't get to Great Britain from Florida. You couldn't know the way by this experience with the water. You'd have to have a map. And so it's true with Scripture and the theology that comes from Scripture is that this is standing on the shoulders of hundreds of people that experienced a real God to help us understand Scripture. And if we're going to go anywhere in our faith, if we're going to walk a daily life in a very broken world, we're going to need a map. And so we can have an experience with God, a very real and living God. And then if we're going to journey with him, we're going to need Scripture. We're going to need to understand Scripture. What a beautiful response. C.S. Lewis, he was the man. So scripture is necessary. Secondly, scripture is clear. As my old professor used to say, a baby can swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. You can be a brand new Christian, open the Bible, and you can learn about God. And you can have your eyes open and be fascinated by who God is through scripture. Or you can be someone who spends your entire life learning everything you can, and you would never get to the bottom of its depths. You would only open up entirely new caverns of knowledge of who he is as you studied. An infant could swim in it, but an elephant could drown. Mark Twain said, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. How true is that? I think... Another wise man said that whenever we start being obedient to the parts of the Bible we do to understand, then God will reveal to us the parts that we don't understand. We just have trouble being obedient to the, the initial. 
It is clear. It will not fail to lead an honest seeker to knowing God and having salvation. So it is necessary. It is clear and it is sufficient. Scripture is all a believer knows to know God and to walk through the world that we live in. It is completely sufficient. You don't need any extra self-help books, any extra philosophies or histories. If you had only scripture, you would have everything that you need to know. It is sufficient for every occasion in life and to prepare us for heaven. 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man or woman of God would be complete and equipped. It is sufficient for salvation, for transformation, and for proclamation sharing it with other people. It is necessary. It is clear. It is sufficient. And it is authoritative. Because the author, it is authoritative, because the author is the omnipotent, sovereign king of the universe, Scripture stands over us as our authority and demands our obedience. And if that frustrates you a little bit, if that gets you a little bit angry, That's because the seed of rebellion is still in your heart. You haven't submitted your life to a real and living God. You haven't actually said, Lord, I call you my Lord and my master. And I give my life to you. Thank you for your work at the cross. Thank you for salvation. I give you my sin, my past, my messy past. I give you now and I give you my future. You are King Jesus. Scripture is authoritative in our lives. We don't conform to the Bible. The Bible transforms us. It is necessary. It is clear. It is sufficient. It is authoritative. And it is beautiful. It is intricately woven, divinely expressed. It is so interesting that the more you study scripture, the more connections you see. Well, you realize that writers that never met each other, that were living in different cultures and different worlds, would write on behalf of the Holy Spirit, and they would end up speaking the same truths about the same God with the same purpose, foretelling the same coming Savior, of which Jesus lined up with every one of those prophecies that were said about him. It's incredible. It's masterfully written. It is so complex that you couldn't have a team of people sit down and figure this out and decide that they're going to just write the Bible someday. As you study it, you're going to begin to see that it had to take a transcendent God. It had to take someone who is higher to begin to plant puzzle pieces throughout history, throughout lives, that suddenly, when they're brought together, create this portrait which Jesus fills the center It's beautiful. And just to give you a little bit more insight into this, and I hope it just whets your taste, that it piques your interest, that it makes you just hungry to go and check this out. I've got this great video by by, uh, the the Bible Project. And, uh, you know, lean sideways and enjoy. So the Bible is a collection of books written in different literary styles like narrative, poetry, and prose. And most of us are familiar with these kinds of literature. Yeah, we all know a narrative when we see one, like The Hunger Games or The Great Gatsby. And most people can recognize poetry, whether it's Walt Whitman or the songs of Bob Dylan. And every day we're surrounded by prose and news articles or essays. Now all of these examples are modern American literature in that they came from this time period and this region of the world. But there's also medieval English literature 
from another place in time, or ancient Greek writings from this place in time. So each time period and culture produces its own unique kind of literature. And in order to read the Bible well, we need to keep in mind that it comes from this part of the world and was produced in this basic period of time. So what's unique about ancient Jewish literature? Well, a key feature is that it lacks a lot of the details that modern readers have come to expect in stories and poems. And this makes it seem really simple. But actually, it's very sophisticated literature. Every detail that is given matters. And that's great, but the lack of detail means that stories are often loaded with ambiguities. I mean, take one of the first stories, Adam and Eve in the Garden. Where did this talking snake come from? And why did God allow him there? Why didn't Adam and Eve die on the spot like God said they would? And who's this offspring of the woman who will destroy the snake but is bitten by it? Yeah, so many puzzles in this story. And some of these are questions that we have and that are not important to what the author is focusing on. But some of these ambiguities are intentional. Intentional? Won't that lead to bad interpretations, people filling in the gaps with their own answers? Well, that's a risk the biblical authors took in writing this way. We all tend to impose our own cultural assumptions onto the Bible, but they apparently thought the risk was worth it. These oddities are really invitations into an adventure of reading and discovery. What do you mean? Well, for example, the strange promise about the offspring of the woman crushing and being bitten by the snake. That word offspring is a clue to pay attention to genealogies, which, lo and behold, run all through the biblical narrative. They trace the lineage from Eve all the way to King David and his offspring. And in the New Testament, Jesus is connected to the offspring of this royal line. Now, when you read the prophets, Isaiah connected this king to the suffering servant who would die on behalf of his people. And then in the book of Revelation, there's the symbolic vision. And can you guess? It's about a woman and her offspring. It's Jesus and his followers who conquer the dragon by giving up their lives. Yeah, so each part of the story there is loaded with ambiguities, but altogether it makes sense. And this is the literary genius of the Bible. It forces you to keep reading and then interpret each part in light of the others. This is feeling complicated. I don't know if I can do all that. Well, you're actually not expected to notice all of this by yourself or all at once. This dense way of writing forces you to slow down and then read carefully, embarking on this interactive discovery process through the whole biblical narrative over a lifetime of reading and rereading. Ah, okay. Meditation literature. Yeah, in Psalm 1, we read about the ideal Bible reader. It's someone who meditates on the scriptures day and night. In Hebrew, the word meditate means literally to mutter or speak quietly. The idea is that every day for the rest of your life, you slowly, quietly read the Bible out loud to yourself. And then go talk about it with your friends, pondering the puzzles, making connections, and discovering what it all means. And as you let the Bible interpret itself, something remarkable happens. The Bible starts to read you. Because ultimately, the writers of the Bible want you to adopt this story as your story. So this ancient Jewish writing style, it must create unique types of narrative and poetry and discourse. Yes, and we'll explore all of those literary styles starting next with biblical narrative. If you remember one part of that for your study, remember that the Bible interprets itself. If we bring foreign ideas, or our ideas, or our culture, or our mindsets, our worldviews, we're going to skew things up. But if we look at the Bible and allow it to explain itself, then we're going to be able to get a grasp on what the author is trying to communicate. 
Y'all like that? Isn't that a cool video? Gospel Project, man, they rock. So there's a, a neat story, and I'm going to begin to close with this, because I do want to get you into your e-groups. But it's a story of the power of the Bible. And it's kind of silly, too, so I appreciate that. There was a man who, his name was Kambarami. I'm going to mess that up, Kambarami. And he was the general secretary of the Bible Society of Zimbabwe. In short, he was over the organization to get Bibles into the hands of all the people living in Zimbabwe. In over 19 years, they were able to get out enough Bibles that it was about one Bible per four people. And he still wasn't satisfied. He wanted one in the hands of every Zimbabwean. And he was traveling around, and he's, he's selling Bibles. And he meets this guy, and the guy wouldn't take it. He's trying to convince the guy that he needs this Bible. And the guy said, look, I don't want your Bible. And Kambarami says, why? Why wouldn't you want a Bible? And he says, the Bible just corrupts people. And he said, look, don't even buy it. I just want to give it to you. And he said, look, I'm only going to take it, and I'm going to use the pages to roll cigarettes and just smoke it anyway. And Kambarami said, fine. I'm going to give it to you, but I want you to read each page before you smoke it. And the guy was like, fine. And he didn't see this guy. He left. He never expected to see this guy again. Three years later, he's at this big tent convention, and Kambarami is preaching. And as they're about to close the service, this guy stands up, and he's in nice clothes. And he says, sir, can I speak? Sure, what do you have to say? And he said, I know you don't recognize me. But three years ago, you put a Bible in my hands, and I told you I was just going to smoke it. And you made me, or you encouraged me, and told me you wouldn't give it to me unless I read every page before I did. And I want you to know, I smoked my way through Matthew. I got in and smoked Mark. And I smoked Luke. And as I was smoking John, I got to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have an everlasting life. And when I read that, it was like light shone on my face. And now, I love Jesus, and I'm going to church every week. I guess you could say John smoked him. (laughs) Incredible story. Doesn't an aspiring athlete know every rule and nuance of his sport? Doesn't he know the names of all the greats that went before him? Doesn't he study those who are alive as the champions of his own era? Doesn't an aspiring athlete leave her practice only to go and train at home? Doesn't she give up YouTube so she can sleep more, so she can be more rested for the next day? Doesn't she have strategies and techniques flowing in the back of her mind while she just does the monotonous daily tasks? Doesn't he finally take his diet seriously, giving up junk food and fats and sugars for protein and vitamins because he knows that his internal biology will contribute to his success and his excellence? Won't she take to heart every compliment and criticism of her coach? Won't she push herself to the edge to please her trainer so she can feel the glow of their affirmation? Doesn't she exhaust her muscles and tendons and bones so she can reach and strain in her conditioning to struggle for that ever-elusive goal of excellence? 
Why the sacrifices? Aren't they all to win a prize? A ring, a pennant, a trophy, notoriety. Theirs is so temporary, but our prize is eternal. Men and women of God, may we train like a dedicated athlete. May we practice passionately. May we run with everything that we are for the glory of God and for our our holiness, followers of Jesus. May we practice and run until we run into the arms of the prize himself. Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. If you want to study out the doctrine of inspiration a little bit more, I ask you a question. Definitely go and study before you make a decision. Is the Bible inerrant? Is it entirely without errors of any kind? Go study it out. Recap. Scripture has three purposes. To glorify God, to reveal him to us, and to equip his people. It's different than every other kind of writing because it is inspired revelation from God. The five attributes of inspired scripture are necessity, clarity, sufficiency, authority, and beauty. And I challenge you to become a student of the word in the same way an athlete is a student of their craft. Three challenges, and then I'll get you into e-groups. Challenge number one, begin praying for clarity and passion for his word. I'm telling you, if you'll build a discipline into your lives, you'll crave it. You'll see on the days that you miss how your day just feels off because you don't have that gas tank fuel up. And then I, I challenge you to move from a gas tank fill up Christian into a Christian who walks in awareness of God's presence throughout the day so that no longer are you having to visit a tank, but you are connected to the very source of your day. That's something I'm striving for. I challenge you to go with me. Challenge number two, begin to journal or write in your Bible the things you learn. The more you write in your Bible or journal, the more connections you're going to start spotting. You're going to be like, what? I didn't see that. That was totally meant to be in there. How on earth did that connection get in there? That's so cool. Blew my mind. There's so many cool things that I just never even... Anyway, I'll just start listing examples, but I won't do that to you. It's your job to go find them, not mine now. Challenge number three, and this is so beautiful. We had a donor purchase 50 of those ESV study Bibles that you see out there so that you could have it, that we're going to gift you with them next week. A huge gift because this donor genuinely believes that scripture will change your life and they want you to have the most effective tool possible. And if you want, after e-groups, I'll come come in here. I'll make an announcement at the end of your e-groups. Come back in and I'll let you open up and flip through the Bibles we're going to give you next week. And I'll kind of give you a tutorial of the different tools that they have for you. I'll try to remind you and someone remind me. But they're beautiful. Come back next week. 
So come next week to receive the gift of an ESV study Bible. Heavenly Father, move in our lives through the power of your revealed and inspired word. Illuminate us. Just like that guy in the story where it's like it's shown on his face. And he saw your love. He saw you for who you are. And it changed his life. Lord, I pray that you're beginning journeys in here tonight. Journeys of people that are passionate and hungry to know you more. To see what you're doing. To walk with you. For you to walk with us. A generation of men and women who are dedicated to your authority. To be led by your Holy Spirit. To make a difference and be world changers in their individual worlds. So that the kingdom of heaven is pushed forward throughout all the world. Lord, let that be us. We give this all to you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.